0: why study philippians Renee and i received a letter from a longtime friend who used to be a member of this church but some years ago moved away it was great to hear from her again letters reconnect friends and i would like to encourage that that we consider in this new sermon series as we look at paul's letter to the believers there in that city of philippi as paul reconnecting with his beloved friends in Philippi, his partners in ministry. Dr. Gordon Fee, who wrote a commentary on Philippians, describes Philippians as a hortatory friendship letter. Let me explain that. Friendship letter written between friends, Paul and the believers there in Philippi. But hortatory, that is a letter of exhortations, As Paul writes to his friends in Philippi, really with the greater relationship in mind, Paul and the Philippians' relationship with Jesus. And so he exhorts them in this friendship letter to pursue Christ. It is a letter between friends. It is a letter urging them to strive for the gospel. So our task today is to look, first of all, at the the overarching theme of Philippians, but to do so by looking at just the first two verses. And before we read these verses, let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you that that you are a friend of sinners. We thank you that our friendship as believers really is primarily rooted in your redeeming love for us. As you unite us with Christ, as we have communion with him, we necessarily have Communion with one another, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. That is a relationship that is closer even than blood relations. And so I pray that as we speak today in very overviewish types of terms, general terms about the letter, but as we progress through this book in the coming weeks and months, that you would grow us as friends in Christ that you would grow us as those who have a passion to live in such a way that the gospel is advanced in our own lives, in the lives of others, and in this culture in which we live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now God's word for God's people. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Please turn there in your Bibles. Paul and Timothy. Servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. The word of the Lord is eternal. It revives the soul. It stands firm in the heavens. And may that firm word revive our souls even today. Three points, slaves, saints, and a salutation. You'll find that in the sermon outline. First, Paul, the the author of this letter, identifies himself and Timothy, his trusted lieutenant in the gospel, as a slave of Jesus Christ. We really don't know exactly the reason for Timothy being listed as one of the sender's One possibility is that Timothy actually served as Paul's uh, scribe. But nonetheless, Paul's view of himself, his identity, was that of a slave. Do you have a passion? Maybe you have more than one passion. Most of us probably do. I came across an interview with a gentleman who had a passion and i must say i had no idea that anyone could have such a passion this man's passion he lived his life for collecting sand from around the world and i thought to myself i had no idea that there were people who gave their lives to collecting sand from all over the world. And then I thought to myself, I had no idea that there was that much sand whereby one might collect different types of it to have a collection of sand from around the world. So I Googled it. I put sand collector in the Google bar, and it came up. First thing that populated my screen, I just simply couldn't believe it, was ready sand Fest 2018 yes sand Fest 2018 there was a picture of the attendees at sand Fest in jacksonville florida back in september and i went there really are sand collectors it wasn't a joke this man's greatest desire and he feels like that he might complete his sand collection is to actually collect sand from every one of the of the United States and add that to his collection. Do you have a passion? What are you passionate about? To what have you given your life? Is it to collect sand which will pass through the hourglass of time and be no more? Or might there be something to which we can give our lives that has eternal significance? And that's what Paul is talking about here in the book of Ephesians. Paul's letter to his dear friends in Philippi reveals his passion and his passion stems from rooted in being a slave of Christ Jesus think about it his passion is related to slavery how countercultural is that how politically incorrect is that in our day paul viewed himself as being Christ's slave owned by Christ lock stock and barrel bought with a price, and the scriptures tell us the price of Paul's slavery. It was the very life of Jesus Christ that he gave on the cross to redeem Paul from bondage to sin and Satan and death, and to make him a slave of righteousness. Paul was a slave of Christ, owned by Christ, and as a slave of Christ. Owned by Christ. Everything about Paul's life was in servitude to Jesus and the gospel. That's what it means to be a slave. You're owned by another. And your whole life, everything about it, is in servitude for the other. That's what the Greek word douloi that we find in verse 1. It means slave. Some translations... use servant i think we ought to use slave because that's what the greek means someone who is owned by another and because of that their whole life is in servitude to the other why shy away from identifying ourselves like the bible identifies i'm a slave of christ if he has redeemed me, he's bought me lock, stock, and barrel. I no longer live up my life for me. I live my life for him in the advancement of the gospel. And Paul tells us the cause of Christ. Paul tells us what Christ's passion was all about. 1 Timothy 1:15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am. Foremost, the master's cause was to save sinners. Now listen, Paul's cause is not to save sinners. He can't do that, nor can you or I save sinners. But Paul's cause was to live to serve the advancement of the gospel, to serve the advancement of the good news that Jesus saves sinners. Repent and turn to him in faith. Paul's passion that stems from being Christ's slave is represented in Philippians 1, 12, and 13. Look there as we look ahead. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Well, what has happened to Paul? We learn it in verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. Do you see what it means to be a servant of Christ? I'm owned by Christ. But my life, the whole of it, even imprisonment, is for Christ to serve Him and the advancement of His gospel. Paul wrote from prison, and some believe it's Caesarea, some believe it was prison in Ephesus, but... Most believe, as I, that it was Paul's imprisonment in Rome as he had appealed to Caesar, as we learn in Acts chapter 25. And he viewed even that imprisonment serving to advance the gospel. Did it? Yes, it did. How do we know that? Because we're we're studying the very letter he wrote from prison. It's advanced the gospel since the Philippians received it. It's advancing the gospel now. Isn't God good? And Paul desired that his dearly beloved friends and partners in ministry in Philippi share his passion Share that passion that stems from slavery. Paul wanted the Philippians to also have a passion that the manner in which they lived served to advance the gospel. We see that in chapter 1 and verse 25. Go there, please. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy In the faith. We can just simply understand Paul's words, progress in the faith, as advancement in the gospel, means the same thing. Today's sermon title, which is also the series title, A Gospel Advancing Life, is really a statement about Paul's passion that stems from his self identification as a slave. Of Jesus Christ. His passion, his cause was the cause of Christ. The Philippians' passion, their cause was to be the cause of Christ. And guess what? Our passion, our cause at the top of the lift, chief above all passions that we might have, is that our lives would serve the advancement of the gospel. It is so. We're able to even desire that passion and to have that passion because of the fact that we have been united to Christ in saving faith. And this brings us to the second point, saints. Paul identified the recipients of the letter All the saints in Christ at Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, elders and deacons in our church. You know, when we send a letter, we put the name and then we put the address. The letter we received, Tim and Renee, 3 Golden Oak Cove. And that's just what we do. That's part of our convention. And Paul likewise addresses this letter. But there's a twist to it that I want us to see. The recipients were at Philippi. That is a locale. That is a city. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But I want us to see that the Philippian believers' primary address was not at Philippi. Where was it? Do you see it? In Christ. This is ever so important to understand what Paul is teaching here in the book of Philippians. It's so easy just to breeze over this greeting, this sender and addressee, but there's really significant points that Paul is making here. First and foremost, the believer is in Christ. That's their address, an address, by the way, that will always be around. We never have to apply for for, uh, mail forwarding. Uh, We're in Christ. It's set. And Paul wants us to see that here. A saint is a sinner who's been effectually called united to Christ in saving faith. A saint literally means holy one, set apart one, set apart by God in Christ to be part of a church, a community of believers. We read about the founding of the Philippian church, and especially in, in Acts. Likely Paul's first visit to Philippi was in 49 A.D., and Acts chapter 16 records uh, this. There was no Jewish synagogue in Philippi, so Paul found uh, God-fearing women there at a river just outside of town holding a prayer meeting, and one of those ladies that was there was Lydia And that little prayer group became the nucleus of the church in Philippi. Lydia was a God-fearing woman. She was a merchant. And she was radically changed. The text tells us her heart was opened, reference to the work of the Holy Spirit in regenerating a dead sinner, giving them a new nature according to God's sovereign plan. She was converted. She became a saint Her home became the base of operations for Paul and Timothy and that early church. Her whole household received the sacrament of baptism. We read of another conversion in in Philippi. I just have this vision. Where's Bob Trammell? If you can just picture Bob Trammell with a flower, a beautiful red flower in his ear, laying on steps before the jail in Philippi. On a trip to Phili- uh, on a trip to Greece, uh, Bob and others here at the church. And every time I read the Book of Philippians, Bob, I'm sorry, but I, I have that picture in my mind. I-, I-, I prayed for the Lord to take it away, but it keeps, it keeps coming, <laughs> it keeps coming back. Why didn't we leave Bob in jail there? Can anyone tell me that? I'm just kidding with you, Bob. But do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, the doors. There was an earthquake. There had some construction problems. Well, there was an earthquake there. And so Paul and and Timothy were arrested. They were thrown in jail. And even when they were in jail, they were worshiping God. That jailer that was there likely heard that worship service, heard those hymns sung, heard those gospel conversations taking place. He probably didn't know what in the world was going on. But there was an earthquake, destroyed the jail. The poor jailer thought his life was at end; that he would be put to death, because all the prisoners were surely gone. When he showed up, what did he he heard him singing? They were all there, Paul and the rest. And this is what we read, verse twenty-eight of Acts sixteen. But Paul cried with a loud voice, "Do not harm yourself, for we are all here." And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before. Paul and Silas. I said, Timothy, I meant Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. God uses a guy in prison to advance his gospel. God uses a jailer Overseeing prisoners to advance his gospel. Is there anything that God doesn't use? He doesn't use evil things, but he uses so many things, even our sin, to advance his gospel. The jailer was converted, his family was baptized. The story of sinners becoming saints in Christ by being effectually called and united to Christ is over and over again in the story of this fledgling church growing in Philippi. The saints were gathered together in Christ as friends and now partners in ministry in Christ in that church at Philippi. But that church was at Philippi. Their primary address is in Christ, but in Christ they were living in a real city with a real culture. Philippi is located in central Macedonia. The great Roman road, the Ignatian Way, passed right through it that connected Constantinople with with Rome. It was founded in 360 BC by Greeks and in 356 Philip of Macedonia uh, took it and named it after himself. In 42 B.C., Octavian refounded Philippi as a Roman colony with all the rights and privileges of a Roman colony. And in 49 A.D., as Paul was there for the first time, it was considered to be an economic and political center for that region. It was a Roman city where Latin was the official language, and that culture was very prominent in Philippi. And that presented an obstacle to all the saints in Christ at Philippi being in Christ and living in that pagan culture. So, let me explain it this way. Suppose we all went to a public event, let's just say a sporting event, And what do we typically do at these public events? It begins by everybody standing and singing the national anthem and honoring and respecting our flag and those who gave their life for the freedoms that that we have. And I think doing that, just showing our respect for the blessing of being in this country is a legitimate thing to do. I don't think it's contradictory to Christianity. At all. And that's what we do, right? But what if that wasn't the case? And we go to a public event like a sporting event, and we're, demand- we're commanded not only to pledge allegiance to our government, now get this, but to honor the president as Lord, as divine. And further. We not only face that external threat, but internally, there are some of our fellow Christians who are saying, oh my, (laughs) if we don't comply with pledging allegiance to the government and ascribing deity to our president, we are going to be persecuted. And by the way, there's some doctrines I think we can fudge on just to be more acceptable in culture. And can you you imagine me or one of our elders or one of our deacons suggesting such a thing? Likely, this is what was happening in Philippi. And the reason Paul calls out the overseers and deacons in verse 1 is likely because of this. That not only were the Philippians facing opposition because of emperor worship that was very much a part of that Greco-Roman culture in Philippi. And at public events, part of that was allegiance to the government and ascribing deity to the emperor. But there were those in the church, maybe even some of the officers, that were saying, we can avoid all of this suffering if we just comply with this silly notion of the emperor being God. What's the big deal about that? And by the way, if we fudge on some of this doctrine, like the doctrine of election, get get that out of here. We don't need to worry about that. We don't know for sure what the opposition externally or internally was, but I think this scenario paints a pretty accurate picture. And let me ask you this. Has time changed? Do we not face the same thing as... The believers, the saints in Christ at Little Rock. We need the same encouragement that Paul gives. Lastly, salutation. Paul says, My identity is a slave. And Paul says, every believer's identity is a slave, and at the same time, a saint that is opposed by the culture and sometimes by the brethren. Sorry to say it, more churches have suffered not because of external opposition but because of internal strife and conflict. So having said that, Paul gives this salutation so the longtime friend that wrote to Renee and to me, who was a member of this church, was Alberta Gross. Do you remember Alberta? She became a dear friend of mine. Uh, she, she just was, it, it is just a, every now and then I'll get a letter from her. We communicate, sometimes talk on the phone. And Alberta Sends her greetings to you. And so if you know her, please receive Alberta's greetings. If you don't know her, receive her greetings. You would want to. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's written a letter, he's the author, he's the sender. He's addressed it to the saints in Christ that happen to be living in this city called Philippi in central Macedonia. And he's greeting them. But again, Paul is a master at using the conventions of the day with a twist. Here's the twist. The the convention is to write karen. Just think of the word chair with an E-N on the end of it. And that Greek word simply means greeting. But the twist that Paul gives is he uses the Greek word karis. Caris in the Greek means grace. One commentator said, Everything with Paul winds up being gospel. And it's true with this greeting. Not I greet you, but grace to you is how Paul begins this letter. And then he adds, Irene, peace a Greek word that's very similar to the Hebrew word shalom. And so Paul's passion is realized in his self-identity as a slave. In his passion, he wants other believers, the saints in Philippi, to progress in the gospel, that is to have the same passion. And he shows us here the key to growing and having that passion that our lives might serve to advance the gospel, and that is grace that results in peace. So first we must see that grace and peace only come from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other source. Second, grace is first. Grace is everything. Grace means unmerited favor towards sinners. Grace means we don't deserve anything good from God in Christ that we can't merit anything good, that only, we only deserve judgment and wrath. Grace means God's riches in Christ are given to us at his expense through the gift of faith. Grace represents Paul's theological perspective that undergirds every single word that he speaks to the Philippians and that he also speaks to us. Grace, sufficient, abounding, truly amazing, Really is everything, isn't it? For the Philippians as well as for you and me, only grace enables us to live in such a way that our our lives will serve the advancement of the gospel. And third, grace results in peace—not merely secession from hostility, but eternal peace where enemies, former enemies, now enjoy being friends, where sinners live before God as saints. Grace brings peace, even in the midst of suffering, persecution, imprisonment, and strife. Some passionately... Bad idea to walk away. We, we are having audio problems yet again, sorry. Let me just wrap up. Some passionately give their lives to collecting sand, sand from around the world. You and I have, have passions, don't we? Maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a sport. People are passionate about Varied things, interesting things, unusual things like collecting sand. Having a passion for these sorts of things is fun, it's healthy. It's good to have interests, but the problem, and I will be candid with you, the problem I face, I'm a man of hobbies. I have many different and varied passions, not sand collecting, mind you. Although, we've got some empty jars. But candidly, I struggle with my temporal, earthly passions overtaking my passion for the cause of Christ. And perhaps you're like me. So why study Philippians? One reason is we're called to be passionate, first and foremost, above all else, about Christ and His gospel. Our passion is to be the cause of Christ, our life is to be lived serving the advancement of the gospel. This passion, this cause of Christ, is an eternal passion. And Paul wrote to encourage his dear friends living in Christ at Philippi, this very pagan culture. Paul wrote to encourage his friends in Christ living in Little Rock, this very pagan culture, with practical advice to show us what it means, what it looks like for Christ' cause to be our passion and to grow in passion for Christ. To live our lives in a manner that serves the advancement of the gospel. And may we endeavor together, together To hear what Paul has for us in the book of Philippians is practical advice that indeed more and more we may have passion for the cause of Christ that more and more we will live our lives to serve the advancement of the gospel. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would bless us as we come to this sermon series. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would show us where we might be passionate for things beyond Christ, that we'd be convicted of that, and that we would see that we've been called to serve the cause of Christ. And not just to serve the cause of Christ, but to be passionate about it. And I pray that you would work that in me and work that in us. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.